Uh, today we forget, finish this series called Beginnings. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about these different beginnings we find in, in the Bible. In fact, there's five of them we're, we're focused on, and each one of these really build onto the next one. And, and really, these beginnings are an overview of Scripture. The, the very first week, we talked about the beginnings of creation. We said that you and I, humanity, was created to be in this relationship with God. And then we said the next week, we talked about the, the beginnings of, of chaos. We said that Adam and Eve had a choice between rebellion and obedience, and they chose rebellion. And sin entered the world. Chaos entered the world. The following week, we talked about the beginnings of community. God jumped in and said, hey, I need to redeem this humanity from chaos. And so he, he picks a guy named Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to be the, the, the key person, the, the forefather of this great community, which we know is the Jewish people. And he said, there's going to be amazing blessings for you. And one of the best is we're going we're gonna to redeem the world from this chaos through you, which led us to last week, which was the beginnings of Christ. And we talked about the beginnings of Jesus, and we talked about the Christmas story, and we focused on that. And we said, not only was that the moment where redemption was, or where chaos was redeemed, but it was also, it was also the moment where you and I, we, we were transformed and changed. And today, as we finish the series, we talk about the beginnings of the church. I was reading something not too long ago, and a guy, pastor, wrote, he said, there are three categories when it when it comes to churches, he said the, the first category is a lot of churches are, are what we call morgues. They're dead. <clears throat> There's nothing happening. Nothing's going on. It's a dead place. And, you know, we can find many churches that fit underneath this, this category, even here in our community. But then he goes to the next one. He said, hey, the next category is that there are a lot of churches that are museums. He said, they're beautiful, they're incredible. And in fact, I have a, a friend of mine, used to be a friend of mine, um, uh, up in Seattle, and he was working with a church up there. He said, man, you, you walk into this place, and it was just gorgeous. Anything you can imagine. I mean, it was been there for a long time, downtown Seattle. He said, it set 1,200 people. But every Sunday morning, 50 people would go in, they would grab their folding chairs, and they'd set their chairs up in front of the, the altar there, and they would have church. There's only 50 people in this church. A beautiful space. This church had just become a museum. It was, it was on the cusp of becoming a morgue. But then he says the last category is movement. And he says this is what the church has been called to be, that we have been called to be a movement. And churches where things are happening because God's in the midst of that, people are following Jesus and the Holy Spirit is working, this is what they become. They become a movement. And again, that's what you and I are called to be. We're called to be part of this Movement. And so this morning, I want to talk about this, this beginning of the church, the beginning of this movement. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up here on the screens beside me. But you can follow along this morning in your program, or if you have the Journey Church app, you can follow along there too. Matthew 16, 13 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I think I talked about this a little bit earlier this year. I, I said that this word here, church, it's the, it's the first time we see it in scripture. And it's actually a Greek word, ekklesia. 
And this word ecclesia means to be called out, to be called out into the world. And Jesus is using this very specific word right here in this, this moment because he's saying this, this isn't just about a place. This is about a movement of people. It's not about a building. It's not about a location. It's about a gathering of people who are called out into the world. And he tells these disciples that are with him that day, he's like, look, here's how this is going to work. Um, God's going to do some pretty cool stuff. It's going to be some amazing things that are going to take place. This ecclesia is going to be a movement. It's going to gain momentum. And it's going to be so incredible, there's nothing that's ever going to stop it. Depending on your translation, gates of Hades, gates of hell, or darkness, maybe something else. I'm not sure. But whatever, choose your poison there. Nothing is ever going to stop this ecclesia. And guess what word we see throughout the New Testament when you see that word church? It's always that Greek word ecclesia, everywhere that you look. This gathering of people called out into the world to tell the story of Jesus. Things changed about the year 300. That Greek word ecclesia was changed to um, this word church. And it's actually this, this German goth word, kirche. I may be butchering that. I apologize to all my German friends out there. But, but it meant this any gathering place. It meant the Lord's house. This word was all about a location, a place. And if you can tell, this is where we get our word church from. Church comes from this translation of the scriptures from Hebrew or from Greek here into this new word, church. It moves from this ecclesia, this, this gathering of people to this, this place, this building. Think about it. Those are two very different words. They're, they're not alike. But this is what we began to use in scripture. Now, I don't know how much power a translation has over people, but it seemed to have a lot of power in medieval times. Because here's what took place. We translate that word into church, and then in the medieval times, we found that in communities, what was the central location? Everybody did everything. It was the church. The church was a powerful piece within these communities and these cities and villages. And the reason was they, they, they figured out this, this, this process of how you gain power. Let's think about this a moment. If we, if we, if we control the building... We control the church. And then if we control the church, we can control the, the scripture. And if we control the scripture, then we control the people. Oh, and if we control the people, then maybe we control government. That was really the process that happened there. Because if you think about medieval times, the church was very involved with government. And we did some great things back then, right? No. Some of the worst, most terrible things in history took place because of the church and because of that power, because of that control. And I like to think a part of that was because of the translation of that word. We forgot what it was like to be the ecclesia, and we began to be this, this power-hungry um, beast of an organization that just was all about what we can get for ourselves and who we can control and how we can control them. And that was how the church began to play itself out within the medieval times. That wasn't Jesus' purpose. That wasn't what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the rock and the church being built on that rock. That wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about this gathering of people coming together, this, this movement of people making a difference in the world, changing the world, telling the story of Jesus. And yet something happened to that definition, to that translation. Well, a little bit after the year 1500, this guy shows up on the scene. His name is William Tyndale. That was a nice self-portrait there of Mr. Tyndale. Uh, but Mr. Tyndale said, hey, this isn't right. He was a, an author, a linguistic scholar, and he's translating Greek and Hebrew into English. And as he's translating, he's starting to figure out things aren't quite right. The things that they're teaching within the church, 
That's not what the scriptures actually say. And so he's translating the scripture. He's actually the first person to do this. And as he's going through this process, he gets in trouble. The, the church is pretty angry about this taking place because he's starting to push back a little bit on some of the teachings because of what he's translated the scripture into and the way they're translating it. And so he becomes an outlaw. Now, I don't know if you can be a religious outlaw, a pastor outlaw. That's kind of the, the scenario we find here for Mr. Tyndale. Well, he has to get out of England. He moves to Germany, but he continues to translate scripture there in Germany. Well, while he's there, um, a few years earlier, this guy named Gutenberg, Johannes, not, uh, not Steve, uh, comes up with this thing called the printing press. Some of you will get that later. But anyway, uh, police academy. Um, so he, he develops the printing press, and, and Tyndale gets connected with Gutenberg, and they start to print these Bibles. See, Tyndale says everybody should have access to Scripture. It shouldn't just come from the people that are leading the churches. Everybody should know this. Everybody should be able to read it for themselves. So they begin to create these Bibles, send them back to England. And England's not, again, too happy about this. So they're trying to grab Tyndale any way they can. Well, finally, one of his best friends gives him up. The English come in. They arrest him. They take him back to England, and they forgive him. No. They try him. They find him guilty. They hang him. And because he's a heretic, they burn his body and just scatter the ashes wherever. I mean, this guy was trying to do something good. He was trying to do something right, and he was. And the church jumps in and says, oh, we're losing control. These people are going to know exactly what the Bible says and not what we want them to think it says. And so we need to deal with this quickly. And Tyndale jumps in and risks his life and gives his life for the purpose of Scripture. I think Tyndale understood what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16. It was about an ecclesia, this, this movement of people. Not about this building or this place, but about this movement of people. Now, here's why I tell you the story of William Tyndale. Take a look at this translation for him. I'm not really going to try to read that at all. Um, but, uh, but if you notice, it says, upon this rock I will build my congregation. He takes that word church and says, that's not, that's not right. It's, it's not a place. It's not a building. He says it's about a gathering of people. A gathering of people that are called out. He understood the definition of ecclesia that Jesus had mentioned so much, so many years earlier. There was a gathering of people. And so when Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build this congregation, I'm going to build this ecclesia, we use that term church. Jesus isn't saying, you know what, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to go out and find a designer. We're going to get an architect. We're going to hire some contractors. We're going to get the county permits. We're going to make sure everything is right. And right here on this rock, we're going to build this beautiful, ornate, gorgeous building. That's what we're going to do. No, that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. Tyndale understood that, and he changed that word from church to its true translation, congregation, or as we know it in the Greek, that word, ecclesia. Jesus was building a movement. He started there. But how did it really kind of blossom? Again, if you have your Bible, we're going to look at two different events in Acts. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 4. Jesus has been crucified. He's come back to life. He's hanging out on earth for a little bit. And he's talking to probably about 100 people. And here's what he says in Acts 1, 4. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, Jesus says, there's some cool stuff that's going to happen. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I, I know before you were scared when I was gone and you went and locked yourself in a room. Please don't go lock yourself in a room. Just wait. God's going to show up. And when God shows up, he's got a little gift he wants to give you. And this thing called the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. I love the way they respond to this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, here's this group of people. They've been around Jesus, some of them, for maybe up to even four years. They've spent a lot of time with him. A lot of time. They've heard him teach. They've experienced his healings. They've watched his encouraging words. I mean, they've seen everything. They watched him die. They watched him come back to life. Their first question is, hey, all that sounds really great, but here's the deal. Are you going to be king? Are you going to be the ruler of Israel? When are we going to get the power? We'd really love to have the power. When is that going to happen? I'm sure Jesus is just like, oh, my goodness, people. I've been spending all this time with you, shaking his head, a few sighs. And if you listen to it, it sounds like they like the definition of church better than that definition of ecclesia. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, hey, guys, this isn't a political thing. It's not a political power. It's not religious power. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of this movement that's going to take over and do these incredible things. Again, if you look at those words, the power is going to come from the Holy Spirit, right? The mission is that you are going to be witnesses to my story. You, you know my story. You're going to tell my story. And what's the outcome? Not just one little group of people is going to know about me. The whole world, the whole world is going to know about me. Two weeks later, we have this thing called Pentecost that happens. And uh, at Pentecost, which is a Jewish celebration, it's a Jewish thief, feast and and in this celebration they would celebrate uh, the the first fruits that were coming in from the harvest they would also celebrate the giving of the ten commandments from god to to moses on mount sinai so they would get together they'd party huge huge group of people there in jerusalem they're coming from all over the world they understand hebrew they know hebrew but they're coming from all these different places within the known world at the time and guess who shows up for dinner the holy spirit and so these people began to, to speak in these, these different languages. They began to speak in these different languages. And the people that are around there are like, they've had a little too much wine. I think they're a little drunk. And if they call them Christians at that time, they would probably call them drunk Christians. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen a drunk Christian before. But maybe they're out there. I don't know. But there's, they're, they're calling them drunk. They're saying, these people are drunk. They're crazy. What are they saying? Then somebody says, uh, that one actually is speaking the dialect from where I'm from. Like, What? He said, I know, it sounds like gibberish, but it's not. It's actually my language, where I'm from. And then somebody else says, oh, yeah, they're, they're actually, they're talking in my language, too. And people begin to realize that their own languages are being spoken by these people who, who are followers of Jesus. Peter, who is known to be kind of type A and jumps in at any moment, he's like, well, they think we're drunk, we might as well preach. And so that's what he begins to do. Peter begins to preach in this moment. Look down at chapter 2, verse 22. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. It's kind of interesting how Peter lays this out because he's telling him, you know Jesus because this is all recent history for you. 
this isn't a, a story that's 2,000 years old. You've been around Jesus. You, you've met Jesus. You, you have talked to Jesus. And the people are starting to think, well, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I, I remember, yeah, Jesus was telling this story one time. It was about somebody had a speck in their eye, and I had a log in mine. I thought that was so funny. I just died laughing that day. It was so funny to me. And somebody else probably said, oh, yeah, you know what, Jesus, Jesus healed my mother-in-law. I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I kind of like her. But, but he healed my mother-in-law. Or he healed my friend, or he healed me, or he gave me an encouraging word of this teaching that I remember, or I saw him carry his cross, or I saw him die. Well, it's funny because I, I thought he was dead, but then I saw him walking around talking to some people. He talked to me. They're remembering this. They're eyewitnesses to the count of Jesus. Again, it's not something they were reading about. It's something that they were part of. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. To put it bluntly, Peter preaches the gospel here in these two verses. Going down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we, and we are all witnesses of him. Again, he says, remember, you've seen Jesus, you've talked to Jesus, you've been around Jesus, you've watched Jesus, you know who Jesus is. You and I were witnesses to his story. 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He's like, I know, you remember those drunk Christians? You thought they were all drunk? They really weren't drunk, okay? They were speaking in their own language. They were speaking in other people's languages. You know why? Because God poured out his Holy Spirit on their lives. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter preaches. The people listen. And there's something about what he says that connects with them. He's, he's bringing the story of Jesus that really wasn't, wasn't a story. It was, it, was, it was what was taking place. It was recent history. There were experiences and events they had with Jesus. And he pulls all that together and he says, here's the deal. This is what this is all about. They jump back and they say, hey, Peter, you're right. We remember that. Now, now what should we do? You're calling us to action. What should we do because of this? And then we look at verse 38. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, here's what you want to do. Remember the story of Adam and Eve and how they introduced chaos into the world, and that chaos is still here? Well, you're full of chaos. You're full of sin. You need to give your life to Christ. You, you need to say, I have rebelled, and now I want to obey God. And you need to obey God. Repent of what you've done and where you've been. And then here, next thing we want you to do, jump in. Be all in. Be baptized. And we're going to put you under this water. We're going to pull you back up. And when you come back up, God's going to give you this amazing gift. God's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be your gift. In fact, Peter continues on in verse 39. He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter says, here's the promise. You do all this, you're going to get this gift. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. But it's not just for you. You got kids? It's going to be for your kids. You got family members? It's going to be for your family members. You got friends? It's going to be for your friends. But here's the even cooler part. There's going to be people a couple thousand years from now, and they're going to wear some really strange clothes. 
and they're going to go to work in these things called cars, and they're going to fly places in these things called airplanes, and they're going to jump in something called a train so they can go from point A to point B. It's really strange. It's weird, really weird. If they showed up, you would think they were aliens, but they're people just like you. They're humans just like you. And you know what? This gift of the Holy Spirit, he actually didn't say all that stuff. I'm just adding this, okay? But that gift is not just for you. It's for people down the line for years and years to come. When I read those words, I think this isn't about a church that's a morgue or a museum. It's about a movement. And when you think about a movement, there's momentum that is a part of that. And when we look at the history of the church, that's what we see. We see this movement and the momentum that takes place. And if we go back to what Jesus said earlier in Matthew 16, what did he say? Nothing. Nothing can stop the momentum. Hades, hell, Darkness, nothing. This movement will continue for all of history. Look at verse 40. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and almost 3,000 were added to the number that day. Remember, they thought they were all drunk. Peter jumps in and prays or preaches. And then they decide, you know what, you're right. We have been eyewitnesses. We have seen Jesus. We have talked to Jesus. We have watched him in the power that he has. We've heard the stories. And I want to be all in when it comes to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something in the story, something that doesn't happen. Nobody stands up at that moment like, uh, hold up, time out. I actually know where Jesus' body's buried. Uh, let me take you to it. Nobody said, oh, hold up, wait, wait a second. Um, I know the people who took his body. I don't know where they put it, but I can take you to those individuals. Nobody jumps in to say that. What do they do? They hear. They repent. And they say, you know what? You're right, Peter. We are all in. And that first day of the church, 3,000 of the ecclesia, 3,000 people were baptized. Do you notice they don't have a building? They don't have a location to go to. They don't have an address. They didn't buy some land. They don't have a structure in place. There's none of that. All they have is each other. They truly are this ecclesia, this, this movement of people, this gathering of people who are focused on Jesus. That's what they really are. They're not a church. They're this ecclesia. And God uses that. God uses that to impact our lives even to this day. Again, this is the beginnings of this, this ecclesia, this, this movement of people that began. Because Jesus said, this is what this is all about. It's not about a building. It's not about a location. It's not about a place. It's about a gathering of people. Now, the reality is you know that we can get in the way of this movement, right? The church isn't perfect. I can promise you, your lead pastor is not perfect. Your leaders are not perfect. We try to do the best that we can. And I think, and I believe most of us in here do that. We're not perfect. And many times, we want to be the church. We want to be all about power. We want to be able to control what's happening, control the people within it. A lot of times we say, this church is about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I desire for myself, for my family, for my kids, for the people I'm married, whatever it may be. We, we say this is all about me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's the kirche, the church. 
We're in ecclesia. I've called you out into this world as my follower to go into the world and to tell the world my story. Now, we're not eyewitnesses like the people we find in Acts were, but we're eyewitnesses in our own way. You've watched Jesus work in people's lives in amazing ways. You've seen the Holy Spirit at work, maybe even in your own life. You've seen the power of that, and you and I, we, we get to tell that story to other people. We get to share our faith. We get to share what we believe about Jesus because of what Jesus has done in our life. Because we get it. We understand. We are an ecclesia. Now look, we're never going to get rid of the word church, okay? It's kind of ingrained in us. It's not going to go away. But it's not the word church that we have to be worried about. It's how we function as a church. Do we function in the way that Jesus intended for it to function? Do we function in the way that God wants the church to function? I, I want to be a part of a movement of people. I can promise you, till the day I die, I don't want to be anywhere close to a morgue. All right? Probably the same thing for you. I can drive 10, 15 minutes, and I can see all the museums I want to see. Most of them are free, which is kind of cool. And I don't want the church to be that either. I don't want to be a part of that. I want the church to be a place that is about a movement of people gaining momentum and making an impact in the place that we find ourselves. When you, when you serve here at the Journey Church, you, you're a part of that ecclesia. When, when you say, hey, I want to serve, which, by the way, last week we still have our Race the Red project going on with our, our children's ministry I think we had like 71 slots, and you all took about 40 of those slots last week, which was absolutely incredible and amazing. There's still about 25 out there. Just stop by our board, grab a slot, help our children's ministry. But when you do that, here's the deal. You're being the ecclesia. Because you're not telling people there, hey, this is what Chad thinks and believes. You need to follow that. No, you're saying, this is a story of Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. This is the power of Jesus in my life. And I want you to experience that yourself. And as we teach those kids... Guess what that is? That's a movement. Because they're going to get involved in a church, hopefully. And they're going to teach some kids. Still going to teach some kids. They're going to teach some kids. That's how a movement works. So when you serve with our kids, when you serve with our teenagers, when you hang out with a single mom, when you share a meal with someone, when you go into the community, you help feed kids like we did this summer here in Springfield, when you go on one of our mission trips to, with Living Water, when you do these things, you and I were spreading this movement, and that momentum continues to build and grow and grow. It's one that will never end. But you and I, we, we get to be a part of that here. Again, it's not the name. It's not the name that's important. It's how we function together. It's how we work together. And do we truly believe that we are a gathering of people called out into our world, to tell the story of Jesus Christ. We are a movement. And when Jesus used those words with Peter, it wasn't a mistake. It's what he really and truly wanted to have happen. And when the church begins and those 3,000 people jump in on that first day, a, a, a movement was started. Momentum was built. And God was glorified. Jesus' story was shared. And people's lives, billions of people's lives, have been changed and impacted 
even to this day. Here's the cool part of this story, though. It's the part that hasn't been written yet. Uh, if you've noticed, as we've gone through this series, each one of our weeks starts with a C. Maybe you haven't noticed that yet, but just throwing that out there for you. But there's one more C that, that, that hasn't been written, and it's the beginnings of the city. We find that in Revelation, the beginnings of the city, the place where finally Jesus comes back and, and changes the world and says, I'm here. I'm here. And now we're going to be together in this city, you and I, this gathering of people that have lived this out, this, this movement for all these years, and now we get to spend eternity here in this place together. See, that's the beginning I'm looking forward to. That's the beginning that I think we live for. That's the beginning that, that I believe Jesus was talking about when he says this ecclesia, that, that we get to experience that at the end of life. I'm looking forward to that day, and I pray, I pray that you and I, that this church will be a movement of people impacting lives so that we get to spend eternity with each other there in that city. I believe that's why we're here. I believe that's why we exist. And I believe that's why God put the church into place, this movement for all eternity. You know, every Sunday we come together here at The Journey and we take communion as a church community and it is a reminder to you and I that we're a part of something way bigger than ourselves. Uh, the amazing thing to me is that on a day like today, there, there are millions and millions and millions of people who are doing the exact same thing we are. That they're taking a piece of bread, they're taking some juice, and they're, they're taking it together, and they're taking it as a church community. And, and as they do that, they're saying, we, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Sure, you've got churches all over the place, but, but we're a part of something way bigger than ourselves, something more powerful than ourselves, something that is a movement of people gathered together to tell the story of Jesus. As we take communion together today, my prayer is that we are reminded of that. And maybe today for you, your next step is to say, hey, I, I, I need to be baptized. And actually on October 8th, we're having a baptism service. This is going to be part of our Sunday morning service. And, and if you've been thinking about that, you've got questions about that, let me know. I'd love to talk to you about that. We, we'd love to have you be baptized today. We might have two people to get baptized. We won't have 3,000, but we may have 20. Who knows? But we'd love for you to be a part of that. To say you're all in. I repent, I'm ready to take that next step. And maybe for others of us this morning, as we're, we're thinking about our time together, as we're, as we're together in communion, for us, it's a reminder. Man, I, I think the church is all about me. It's about my needs, it's about my wants, it's about the things that I think are important to me. And you've forgotten this in Ecclesia. It's a gathering of people together to tell the story of Jesus. I don't know where you are. I don't know where your spiritual journey is taking you, but I pray that you're coming closer to Jesus together. And maybe this morning as we take communion, maybe you just need prayer. Our prayer team will be up on the side here during communion time. You can come up, you can pray with them, whatever it may be, but let God speak to you today and remember that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And we celebrate that through Jesus.